Welcome to the Group Home Riches Podcast. If you have the desire to be your own boss, create your own schedule, and become financially free while at the same time helping people in need, then you've come to the right place. At GroupHomeRiches.com, we teach people exactly like yourself how to get started in the group home business, and on this podcast, you're going to hear their stories firsthand. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Group Home Riches Podcast. Today, we're going to do something just a little bit different. I don't think you guys have heard an episode like this in a while. The past couple episodes we've done, you know, you've heard Patrick, he had like 60 properties. You heard Jim, he had 10 and was on his road to 100 properties. Today's guest, we have a coaching client who's just getting started, but he's outlined, he's taken the steps that we've outlined perfectly. And um, he's about to be to that point. So I think it'll be a good, a great example for you guys to listen to and kind of learn from and something that you guys can achieve possibly in the next couple of weeks. So Taharka, welcome. Hey, thank you. Welcome. Hey, how's everybody doing? Yeah. So what do you want to say first, right? <laughs> well, why don't you start by just giving a quick kind of intro where you're from, like what brought you to us, stuff like that. Okay. Yeah, that sounds good. So everybody knows my name is Taharka. And I guess a short story, which will be my journey, just how I got here all overall. So when I was about 14 years old, I entered the street game. I moved from New York to New Jersey and I started doing some things in the street. I, I was very fascinated by the movie Scarface. Yeah, You, you know that movie Scarface? Oh, yeah. Yeah. So that kind of heavily influenced me early on. So I started to make some poor choices, thinking that Scarface, like the world is mine and I'm going to make some things happen that way. And through that process, ran into a lot of brick walls. Right. Early on, I found myself incarcerated as a young adult, as a juvenile, standing before a courtroom judge. Right. And he's telling me, you're not going home. And you know, for that period of time, for the next two years, right? And I vowed to not ever do what I did again, at least not in that way. But I got crafty and thought I could come home and do the same thing in a different type of way, which is insane. So for like about 15 years of my life, I ran that cycle in and out of different institutions. I dabbled and then dealt with uh, addiction, right? Alcohol, drug use, and through that process. And I was like a train wreck uh, waiting for things to happen. And eventually, in the letter end, right, as I became a young adult, later adult, I met a gentleman. He was actually coming home from prison or he was on a pill trying to get some time back. Like He had a life sentence on his back. And we used to play chess. And I used to talk about my situation, my complaint about life. And he said, you know what, like the reason you keep coming back and cycling is that you haven't changed certain things about the way you're thinking, your perspective. And he said, as soon as you start to change that, your environment, the people you're around, the places you go to, and your perspective, then things will start to change for you. So I did just that. That was fascinating to me, but I took his advice, man, and returned back to school. I got my GED. After that, continued on because just as determined as I was in the street to try to figure it out and make it in the street, I locked in and determined to make it in a more uh, positive and productive way. 
So I returned back to school and I got a degree. I got a degree in social work, sociology, and then I went on and got a master's degree. And I continued on and I actually got uh, licensed by the state. So I'm clinically licensed as a social worker. I'm clinically licensed as an alcohol and drug counselor. And I'm also certified as a trauma-focused cognitive behavior therapist. And so the path I chose to do that is like, I really had a strong desire to, to assist other youth that may be traveling my path so that I can intervene and be able to disrupt that. And so that's how I got into the field of social work and the desire to help people in the midst of helping myself. So I'm going to stop there and then we could kind of jump into some of how I got the group homes, but that's how I got into the field of helping. And through that process, that's how I stumbled across Group Home Riches. Nice. And we'll dive into that a little bit more, kind of how you found Group Home Riches. Just the question that popped into me, the gentleman that you were playing chess with him, he just mentioned, you know, and this is a running theme that we have in kind of our content and just our talks, Andy, just positive thought, right? Absolutely. were there any books or any content or anything like that that helped you with that process? Or was it literally just that combo and that was enough for you? No, there's a series of books because one of the things I guess that was helpful for myself that I did <laughs> during my time away, I read. I really enjoyed reading and studying. I studied a lot of psychology, sociology, how the brain works, things like that, mindset. You know, some of the basic stuff that people read, I would say, rich dad, poor dad, how to think and grow rich type I stuff. <laughs> um, yeah, it's just a host of things. Uh, psychology of money. The list goes on. Different things that I've read. It's funny. The two that you named, I call it the game changers, at least for me. Like, think and grow rich. Literally, it was like a switch. Like, it turned, something turned something on. So that was mine. And Andy's was Rich Dad, Poor Dad. So it's funny that you mentioned those two. I will say, Think and Grow Rich, I mean, huge impact on my life as well. Huge. Yeah, Richest Man in Babylon. Yep. Yeah. You know, so I, I've read a lot, a lot through my field of study. I read a lot as well. That's more related to social uh, problems and conditions. So I deal a lot with that trauma, behavioral health, things like that. So I read a lot related to that as well. Yeah, I would recommend for folks listening out there, like the literally the first step. And I can tell like when people email us, I can just tell like if their mindset is off. Like if you get the goal course or coaching, any of our products, they're not going to help you if you have the wrong mindset. Like you need to be in the right mindset. And we just gave you a couple free books. Like you can find that stuff free online and that will be worth millions to you in the future. If you guys are just in the wrong mindset, when you hear this stuff, you're going to hear Taharka's story. You're going to hear Andy's story when you hear that and like, oh, that won't work for me. They're lucky. (laughs) You don't need the gold course. You need to read a couple of those books that Taharka just mentioned. (laughs) You got to get your mind right. Yeah. So really quick, can can I just jump right there? Absolutely. I I would say foundational, right? It was a pamphlet that was circulating as I was, you know, doing my journey early on. As a man thinketh, right? As a man thinketh. Yep. And and that 
was like foundational, right? How seeds grow, how you can plant them, how you got to tend to your mental garden, you know, thoughts and all little intention. That's foundational, right? So all of those things are, are recommended. Uh, quick comment. My um, grandfather and my great-grandfather that came over from Germany, because that you know that as a man think it, that book is like, 150 years old or whatever but we got an original copy my dad does that's underlined by my great-grandfather and um one of the best lines in that book that i vividly remember is you cannot have a better home until you make the home that you're living in the home that you want to live in Ooh. <laughs> Fire. I like that. <laughs> yeah. That's a that's what they say, right? That's a bar. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I, I wanted to it's, say it. bars. <laughs> it's so deep and it is so true. And I've I've experienced that firsthand multiple times. Like, you can apply that. that to so many things too. Yes, it's not just your physical home house that you live in. He's talking about everything. Everything. Let me just give a metaphor to group homes that people can apply that to. We have a lot of people that come to us and are, uh, you know, hey, like landlords won't work with me or like, hey, I want to get started, but I don't have a home. There's stuff that you can do right now to put yourself in the position to make people want to work with you. Like there's stuff you can do for free, which we'll talk about. Like you could be calling nonprofits and things like that. Like, for example, to simplify things, do you have a wait list of people that want to be in a property? If not, that's your home. Make your home that like go get a wait list, build yourself up to move to the next level. And there's so many examples you can you can apply that to. But that is that's a deep one. I got to go revisit that book. And that's crazy that you have the original, Andy. You never told me that. <laughs> yeah, right. No, I don't. I don't have it, but my dad has it. And um, so it would have been his grandfather that came over from Germany had it. And it's interesting how these things can like skip generations for whatever reason. My father was really never into reading a lot of that stuff. Something clicked in my head. Uh, this guy actually, when I was young and I was selling pots, pans, kitchen equipment, things like that, this guy's name was Mike. And I was about 18 and he gave me a set of Tony Robbins tapes and a couple of books. And I was, yeah, I was about 17 or 18. And that's what turned me on to it. But, you know, my dad really never got into that stuff, but his grandfather was really into it. So my dad always says, you're just like your great grandfather, who I never met. Awesome. Wow. <laughs> Good company to keep. Yeah. Yeah. So that's the first step for sure. Some people kind of learn it early. Some people learn it the hard way. I was one of the people that learned it the hard way. Taharka sounds like you're similar. So you were, um, you know, you started reading about stuff like that while you were um, kind of locked away for doing the uh, street business. Yes, sir. Yep. Very cool. Yeah. So another book, it just escaped me. Never mind. It's about transcending stuff, though. So you took kind of a very negative situation and you turned it into a positive situation. So you started, you know, educating yourself, got into social work, 
you said you got a master's degree. It, it, you went into that line of work, correct? Like you got into social work? Correct. But my goal and my desire was to help you. Yep. So many people listening to us, that's they have the what's called the caretaker personality. So you probably have it as well. You probably feel energized by helping people. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, so that's a major uh, motivation for you, not just, you know, in business, but in life in general, which you can tell by your career choice. Right. So right. I can guess the reason, but why don't you tell the folks, why did you find group home riches? It's not something that you just kind of stumble on you know, on the internet. <laughs> so what made you start looking into this stuff and how and why did you find us? Okay. Yeah. So I would say for myself, uh, group homes was something I, I was always interested in based on my experience. Right. And being able to try to provide some type of environment that was healthy, that was conducive to someone's growth and development. And so I always wanted that. So I, as I'm working with youth, right? I work with the state in New Jersey and I have a contract with them to provide these services. And every now and then they have an RFP process to provide some type of group home service or some other type of service, whatever that may be, whatever the RFP is for. And so for many years, I solicited and, and submitted RFPs. I responded to them, you know, writing grants, spending money to hire assist get assistance to write these grants and everything and you know in about 2019 there was another grant it was for a therapeutic group home and i was doing some more research on group homes at that time and i came across group home riches i think it was about 2019 researching and the initial experience because of what i was in and that's one thing too about mindset right because the field that I was in and the, the networks that I had, my connections that I had were all locked in and linked in with the state legalities of things. And so when I was listening to the initial uh, group home in 2019, 2020, I didn't go too much further because my mindset at the time was like, I need a license. I need a license. But mm -hmm. I needed a license because I was working with youth. Right. And the state requires you to work with you because most of you are in state custody. So they want you to have license. But that was my blockage at that time. So I, I went ahead, spent my time uh, writing a grant, didn't receive the grant. Right. I received some grants over time, you know, here and there. And I've been kind of like floating a lot of stuff. But that's when I came across Group Home Riches at that point. Then COVID happened. And during COVID, I just delved into like more personal and professional development, a lot more reading, a lot more viewing things. Um, you know, I developed in different areas of my business uh, as far as the clinical business, but it really wasn't turning a buck, right? Everything went virtual and I started doing more virtual stuff. And after COVID and the pandemic ended, I recognized that I'm pretty much standing in the same position because like I'm still relying on the same network, the same resources, and I need to get out of this box because it's not really satisfying what I'm looking to do and the way that I'm looking to do it. So I stumbled across Group Home Riches again, and that was this year, maybe about the summertime, June. 
because last year I started working, trying to do some multifamily uh, flipping, uh, long-term rental stuff. And then again, the group home thing came up like, okay, if you open a multifamily, then you need to like do a group home. Again, I went to the state <laughs> and they like, yeah, you got to get licensed to run a group home. And I was like, man, it got to be another way. Uh, <laughs> And Group Home Riches came back through the cycle. And I said, let me spend a little time. And I jumped on a webinar and the offering was there as far as the investment in myself. Now, think about it. Like over this time, since 2019 to 2023, I've been like investing thousands and thousands of dollars into myself and into my business. And it's still stagnant. And in fact, this year, like is one of the worst years in my actual business, <laughs> you know? And so I'm like, wow, I can't end up at the end of this year as the same way I ended up last year with all the information, all the solutions out there and the guidance. And so when I actually listened into the group home, Bridges podcast and the guidance and I made the investment, which was short in accordance to what I've been investing to get little courses going, you know, private courses, creating funnels you know, webinars and all that stuff, the investment was small. And so I did it. I looked at it a little further, a little deeper. And at that point, I realized, said, yo, it's doable. You know, I was convinced it was doable based on my experience. And I delved in. So that's how I got to Group Home Riches. I love it. Yeah, I was surprised that you said 2019 because from the school postings, it sounds like not brand new, but it sounds like you were pretty new. So, you know, where you were dabbling, you were thinking about it for a couple years, but it sounds like just recently was when you made the decision, like, all right, I'm going to take action and I'm going to really do this thing. Am I correct? That's correct. Because yeah. I was locked in my state license box. Yep. Let's rewind to that. I know you two know the answer, but for folks that are listening, so... Andy, you just heard how this question held to Harka back for like a couple years. So yeah, we're talking two, so basically four years, right? Yeah. So break down for the people, you know, what certification did you need to get? The licensing process, break all that down for the folks out there that are kind of into Harka's boat where he was a couple years ago. Brent, are you talking to me or to Harka? Oh, to you, Andy. Sorry, I, I might have broken up a little. Break down. Oh, yeah. The certification and the licensing process, because as you can hear, it, it held him back. It's probably holding other people back out there, too. So what did you need to go through? Absolutely nothing. <laughs> <laughs> Ask me again, Brendan. Yeah. So Taharka, you heard that in 2019, I'm sure. And you were like, no, nah, that can't be true. So That's right. <laughs> <laughs> because he comes from that, you know, he comes from that space, right? He had to go through all, you know, imagine the work that Taharka went through to provide the services that he provides. So Andy, you know, you provide housing to a ton of different demographics, right? Like everything under the sun that you guys are thinking, sober housing, seniors, people transitioning out of homeless, they have mental health issues. Andy, what certifications and licensing did you need to go through and why? Oh, Brandon, it was so difficult. I mean, <laughs> I had to get nothing. <laughs> so I had to get nothing. I mean, 
And I remember, you know, everyone's got their own little roadblocks, mental roadblocks, whatever they may be. I would say one of my biggest mental roadblocks was when I left corporate America. I say corporate America, but I had a job and the job paid me every two weeks. And man, you become addicted to that job the same way that the homeless guy or the crack addict is addicted to the crack. Literally, that biweekly paycheck, it's got to be one of the most addictive things out there. And I remember I I was scared out of my mind. And I had like, I'd already saved up money and it was really not that big of a deal for me to leave, but I was scared. And I think people have the exact same thought process with this whole licensing gimmick. Well, I've, I've got to have a license because that's what I've been told. But they fail to look around and see that the guy that's running student housing over near the local university that's got, you know, six people living in a dorm room or whatever, he doesn't have to have a license or she doesn't have to have a license. It's the same concept. So, so to answer your question more succinctly, you do not need a license. And um, no, I never got a license. So Taharka heard that in, in 2019. <laughs> why, why don't you need a license? Why, like, all right, you used a great example, you know, the college person with housing. So why don't you need a license then? Well, I mean, yeah, I'll probably let, allow you to answer that. But look, at the end of the day, you're providing housing for families. That's what you're doing. They're non-blood related families. Yep, that's one of the legal aspects of it, but... I want you guys to think, Andy used a great example. So college housing, like obviously you guys, I've lived in situations like that. You probably all have or know people that have. That landlord doesn't need a license to provide housing, right? If you were to provide housing to, let's say, seniors and the state were to say, hey, because you you are housing people over 65, you need to get this certification, this license, blah, blah, blah. That is the legal definition of discrimination, right? So there's a ton of, you know, federal laws, federal housing, federal guidelines. There's a ton of court cases that have been fought for this. But the short story to this is that you do not need a license to start this. So, Andy, all the people in your housing, they do need a ton of services, right? So they have social workers, they have counselors, they have nurses, right? Nurses, doctors, everything. How did you get set up to like employ people like that? Uh, We didn't. (laughs) (laughs) It's all outsourced. outsourced. Yeah. Everything we do is outsourced to home health. Yep. That's it. So home health and, you know, nonprofits, right? So essentially guys, Andy, Taharka, they are just landlords on paper. They're providing housing. That's it. And the tenants, if they do need any you know, licensed services, those are going to be outsourced. So that's it in a nutshell. And it's just, you know, I wanted to spend a little bit of time on that because that literally, it held Taharka back for years. So, and there's people like that that are probably going through the same thing. So that's why I wanted to spend a little bit of time on that. So Taharka, once you kind of crashed, you know, you finally realized that what, like, I'm just curious, how did you finally like realize that? Was there a webinar? Was it in the gold course? Like, how did you finally be like, how did you get it? 
you know, how did that make sense to you? Just really quick, I want to speak about, yeah, so I bought the course in, I think, July 2023, this year. And I normally would do, I start researching, right? And I made the early mistake, so of, like, still looking at, I guess, legality, calling myself, looking at the legalities of it. So I'm using the wrong language, and so I'm using grooming and boarding houses, you know, which is licensed. You got to get these certifications. I'm speaking to the local uh, code enforcement ordinance, the offices. I'm looking at the local ordinances, you know, what they saying. And it, it's like crazy because one of the things about family I've seen in some of the ordinances, they even attempt to define your family structure. And so I'm like, wow, you how are you going to tell people who's their family and how they can identify as a family and live together as a family? And then I list, I was listening to the podcast, you know, during this time, because one of the things that happened after I purchased the course, because of the work that I do, I was running a summer camp and I didn't have as much time as I needed, but I committed to say after summer camp is over, I'm going to dive full in, you know, I'm really going to start taking a massive action. But during that time I was listening to podcasts tapping in a little bit of, you know, trying to build a little list. And I listened to the legal podcast. I looked at the legal section and I read through that material a couple of times and, you know, it started to make sense. And I started to ask more questions to other people, to other homeowners, even my mom. I started having conversation about certain things and I was like, that started breaking through it and asking certain questions to myself and looking up certain questions and, you know, looking at the regulations. And I said, okay, as long as I stay within the regulations of how people can be housed as far as the space. So it, I learned that, you know, looking at that. So they regulate the space. You can have this many people in this amount of space in a room. And so that helped me get to understand. I was like, well, if I do that, I'm not in violation of anything. And, if they're housed, you can't define who my family is, especially nowadays, right? Everybody defining their family how they choose. And the work that I do, right, we have a child family team, you know, clinical meetings, and the family is who the youth identifies as their family. And it doesn't have to be blood related. And so that kind of helped me start cracking the code because I was still kind of like stuck a little bit, you know, navigating and, and going through that piece. But then one day it just snapped. It just cracked on me. I was like, I'm good. I'm confident. Like, I'm good. And I listened to a couple of the podcasts with people who encountered some of the cold compliance issues and what they did to walk them through that process. I was golden. I said, I know I, it's good. So I went full speed ahead. And so ever since then, I don't really, I look at the ordinances just to get an idea what they're saying, but I don't allow that to dictate what what's going to happen because I am recognizing that the ordinances are not in compliance with federal uh, statute and law, right? Bingo. Yeah. To, to kind of simplify things, we, it's, and, and it, this is all covered in the gold course legal section, but there's federal, you know, housing and guidelines, and there's all kinds of cases that have upheld this stuff, but in general, two adults or two people, uh, per room is considered reasonable and you can't discriminate against people living together. Basically, that's what the federal guidelines were put in place to do. 
there are all kinds of crazy like codes out there, local codes, but those are in violation of the federal laws, which is why if you do research and like you listen to our interviews and Andy, I know you, you've dealt with this a couple of times, whenever the local, you know, code people do try to give you a violation or anything like that, what's always happened for you, Andy, whenever like the local code people have come and like slapped a sticker on your door? You know, the, the reality is nothing really ever happens. And that is government in a nutshell. It's one big department of motor vehicles. <laughs> <laughs> So I'll give give you guys an example of something that happened this morning on one of these hotels. We got a certificate of occupancy and uh, with no restrictions, which there should not be any restrictions on that certificate of occupancy. And so they gave it to us. And now some of the people in the buildings inspections department are asking us to bring it back so they can give us another certificate of occupancy with restrictions. I mean, look, guys, it's the government. The right hand doesn't know what the left hand's doing. The left hand has zero clue what the right hand's doing. And this is one of the reasons you do have to just take massive action because otherwise you'll sit around and you'll just paralyze yourself and you won't do anything, which is really what they want. They don't want you to do anything. Yeah, you've shown me in one of the cities where you operate, where literally in the local code, it was like three paragraphs down. They contradicted themselves regarding this. Like, oh, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, the local code is confusing and it violates the federal code, which trumps all local code. So, mm-hmm. you don't have to take our word for it. We break it down in the gold course. We have people at this point, probably in every state that have, you know, have proven this. And Taharka is in New Jersey which is not a, it's not known as the most business friendly state out there. We'll just do that, right? <laughs> so that held Taharka back for a while, but he finally figured that out, did the research, right? Once you kind of got over that, let's just break down like the first steps for folks out there, Taharka. So did you purchase a property? Did you have a property like just sitting around? What was that like? Like the first steps, what were those like for you? Man, oh man, like I want to say truthfully, like out of everything that I've done, this has been the most simplest um, far as steps and actions because I followed it to the script. Um, So you guys did an excellent job with with laying out step-by-step processes, right? Like ingredients, right? Instructions. And I think that's how I looked at it the ingredients, right? Like baking cakes and things like that. Like if they tell you to put certain things in it, this amount, then just do it, right? You don't have to really understand it. It doesn't really have to make sense for you. You know, you sometimes be like, why would they do that? It don't even make sense, right? But just following the instructions, right? They put the recipe there for a reason. It's a blueprint. And I did just what it said do build the list and pick up the phone and make calls. And that was it. I did that. I looked through a, 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 the rest of the course, how to build the list. I started building a list. I started doing research, looking at organizations. I started documenting them, getting their contact information. And I picked up the phone. I started making calls. I started having conversations. It wasn't that difficult. Again, it didn't make sense 
because I didn't have a house. And I'm like, what am I going <laughs> to really tell the people? <laughs> but again, the course helped with that because it informed you that you did not need to have a house. And this is what you need to say to the people when you're on the phone with them. And I did that and it worked. And people were ecstatic to speak to me and hear from me. It so is kind of counterintuitive, right? So, yeah. and uh, Taharka is one of our, our coaching clients. So the first assignment that we give people is to do just that, is to call these nonprofits and social service organizations. You know, basically you're locating people whose job it is, is to place people. And it's counterintuitive. Basically, you're marketing a product that you don't have yet. Right. <laughs> so right. You're, marketing, you're marketing a group home business, but you don't have any homes. But how does that make sense? So how did those calls go when we had you do that? Did you make it up? Like, did you lie about the properties or did you say that you had a property that wasn't really there? Like, what was that like? Because the people out there listening are probably going through the same thing. Like, that doesn't make sense. So how did the calls go? And, and like, what did you tell them? I told them no. I, I told them I stuck with it. The I don't have a property at this moment. We're looking to secure properties and we're just uh trying to identify what the need is and what services you actually offer and how we could potentially collaborate with each other to provide this service to the community. That, so that's it. <laughs> so yeah. And what was the response like? Did they hang up on you? Did they yell at you? Or what was the response like? It was like, oh, okay. So how soon you, you think you're gonna be opening up? Well, when you think <laughs> you're gonna have a property? Yeah, that's so, it, right? Well, we're looking approximately 30, 45, maybe 60 days, but we are working on it and we're looking to secure these properties as soon as possible. And we'll keep you updated. Uh, as soon as a bed becomes available, we make sure that you're informed. Boom. And I, as the momentum started, right? I started getting momentum. I, I'm like, oh, snap, it's really working. I started making phone calls to the landlords, right? And then as I, I got a couple of good hits with landlords. And now when I'm having conversations, um, a couple of times I was so excited. I was like, yeah, I do got a property because, uh, and I said, oh, snap, I just told him I got a property. But I continued to forge forward and seek the properties out and make those connections and contacts. But no, I told him I don't have property. We're looking to secure it, and we'll let you know. And that was fine. They asked to come visit the property. Oh, can we come visit the property? when? Well, right now, there isn't a property right now, but we'll allow you to visit once we do secure a property. And then oh, you okay. have a reason to call them back. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> so once you get in there and start doing it, you understand why we have you do it in that order, right? Yeah, right. It builds confidence in the process because you start speaking to people and then you start to put the things in place that you need, right? You guys also recommend a website. So I immediately got that website together and put that in place, created a domain and everything, uh, the small steps. So the things that I could do, I started doing it like over the weekends, late night, you know, middle of the night, just tapping on little things to move it forward. Yeah. And so that's what I started doing, just following the instructions. Taking action. I, I love it. So, yeah, to kind of recap for folks out there listening to this. So we had Taharka, you know, establish those relationships, find out what the needs are, right? 
you know, find nonprofits to work with. We call those referral sources. They're going to, they're the organizations that are going to send you, you know, tenants, AKA clients. We have our clients do that first. And there's a reason behind it. I think it just makes business sense, right? Like, why would you get a property, fix it up, pay for all the furniture, supplies, the mortgage or financing or whatever, and what have you, and then start marketing, you're going to lose out, you're going to spend money without bringing money in. So if you listen to our marketing calls, even Andy, like at this point, Andy, you have like a ton of properties and stuff like that. Did you ever fix up a property, get it all like supplied and ready first? Did you ever do that and have an empty group home sitting there? No, I mean, we basically what we did, you know, I mean, number one, I mean, I had properties, but I would just go over to the local hospitals and start talking to caseworkers. And then the caseworkers would start, you know, they'd say, hey, do you have anything available? And um, then I basically created my own waiting list. And that's basically how I ran everything. Yeah. So even Andy, like, even though he had the capital and he had the housing, he still followed that method. Taharka, would you have ever like really gone out and gotten a property and put your money down or partnership or spoken with the landlord? Looking back, would you have ever done that if you didn't establish those relationships first? Do you think you really would have ever had the confidence to actually pull the trigger? Yeah, I like having everything set up first. I like knowing what I'm getting into. But the one good thing about this business is that there's so much demand for it. So you will have a lot of confidence. I mean, some people will, some people won't. But I had a lot of confidence with this business because I was reading articles in the Dallas Morning News and I was seeing people. I was seeing people out on the streets that obviously needed housing. Yeah. Taharka, would you have like gone and leased a property or partnered with a landlord? Do you think you ever would have been able to do it if you didn't establish those relationships first? Probably not because it wouldn't have allowed me to see the potential, the possibility, right? The connections with the organization, the tenant list that was getting developed, that's getting developed, people contacting and everything, that allowed me to see what's possible. And then that's how I was like, yeah, I, I could get a property. I'm confident enough that what I'm hearing, the people I'm communicating with, the response that I'm receiving, I'll be able to fill this one house at least, right? <laughs> how many calls did it, like how many combos did it take for you to get conf- like, okay, this works, I need to go get a property. How many calls did you have? I would say probably maybe five, six, five to seven, 10. Yeah, no more than 10. By the time I was on my 10th call, and getting that positive response and need, getting callbacks from voicemails that I left. That's another thing, right? Don't be scared to leave a voicemail. Leave a voicemail. Don't just hang up, right? People will call you back. And about the 10th time I was speaking to an organization, I was like, yeah, this is a good go. It's possible. I love it. Yeah, everybody's risk tolerance is different, right? Some people can hear this podcast and they're, they're like, all right, cool, I'm going to go purchase a property. Most people aren't like that. <laughs> so, hey, we recommend, hey, do your marketing, do your networking. You don't have to spend a ton of money on a property or get locked into a contract. You just do the calls till you feel confident. You know, get proof of concept is what I like to call it. So that's the first step. 
Then the next step, this is another thing that holds people back a lot, which again, probably you as well, right? Like, oh, I don't have money to purchase a property. Yeah, that's cool. Andy, he got able to start, but that's because he just had a lot of rental properties, right? So <laughs> let's break that down. <laughs> How did you, once you establish these relationships, you're in New Jersey, it's 20% down payment. Like that's a ton of money. How did you go purchase a property and get things lined up? I didn't because of that, right? That process. And like I said, when like the end of last year, this around this time, I was in a deal with a multifamily uh, property and it was just so long and cumbersome and it fell through. And I was like, wow, we wasted time. We wasted a lot of money in this process. So, you know, I don't necessarily want to go through that and to get started, right? Because I know that's a delay. It's just a delay. And so I listen again to you guys' recommendation, uh, partner with landlords, how to acquire property. And I looked at that. I made my little scripts. I got on Craigslist, Facebook Marketplace, Zillow. And I started sending my messages saying, hey, are you interested in uh, leasing this property long term to a business entity? Why would a landlord want to work with you instead of just like a qualified resident, like the typical leasee? Well, what the course outlines, which most landlords, if they're listening to you, um, based on my experience, they are 100% agreeable with the terms that you laid out in the course. You're going to make sure they get their rent on time. That's what they really are concerned about, on-time rental payments. They're concerned about the maintenance of the property, how that's going to be handled, who's going to be responsible for this. And that's pretty much it. They just want to ensure that they're going to get paid and they're not going to have any problems on their hands. And if you use what the course says, right, rent on time. I didn't have to offer above market rate, but rent on time. I was just going to save that as a, you know, backup if I needed. So that rent on time maintenance, I guarantee them that they're going to be listed as an added insurer, your property and yourself on my business insurance plan. And so that helps build confidence in them with that. The maintenance, uh, repairs, things like that. And and they're agreeable. And I'm finding that I don't even have to go through all that background check and everything. They Several of them, they open. You don't have to do that uh, six, 700 credit score. You don't, you don't necessarily have to show and give uh, three times the monthly rent cost. And you don't have to do none of that. There's people out there willing to work with you. You just have to find them. Wow. That's awesome. And you're, so let's dive into this a little bit. How did you, so you just got your first property locked up. Is it, is it one property or multiple? <laughs> hey, Brandon, like, yeah. <laughs> I'm like really, really like excited and nervous. Right. Because I'm thinking like, how fast should I be going? Right. Cause, <laughs> so, cause it's something to me like, oh, don't, don't move too fast, too fast. But I do know that there's a certain level of, of, of speed that you must act to get things done, right, in time. So I locked, I got that one locked in. I actually went to a property today. So even after I got that one locked in, I'm still looking for more properties. And 
I'm thinking to myself, like, why should you get another property so fast? You haven't even filled the first one. But I'm still reaching out and having that conversation. And I went to see one today. The gentleman is open. Um, he's receptive to the model. And next week he wants to meet again and we can start speaking some more terms about what's needed for us to lock that one in. There's another one that I have also uh, pending for January to turn of the year. This one is pretty big. It's kind of set up like a group home model. It's like nine bedrooms, four bathrooms and stuff like that. So I went to view that and he's waiting for me January sometime. And there's another property actually that I stumbled across. The gentleman said he wanted to lease it. It's a six bedroom, two bathroom. It's like a mother daughter setup. And it actually needs some work to repair. It's not even rent ready, but he's willing to work with me. So during this process, as I'm going through it, I'm learning a little more about real estate. I'm reading a little more about real estate. And so actually me and him are actually discussing like more creative deals to actually secure the property with low down payment. Again, without the necessary mortgage and things like that, we're trying to work something out and he's agreeable. He wants to work with me. He likes the model and like what I do and he wants to support that. So we're speaking to get that locked in. So that'll be one, two, three. That'll be about four properties. I would anticipate uh, by February, March, the latest. Beautiful. And just for folks listening out there, we're recording like right at the end of November. So he's got the properties lined up. How did you find the landlords? I'm just curious. What method were you using? Yeah. What's recommended? <laughs> yeah. Like, <laughs> I, can't, I can't help it, man, because it's just really step by step, man. Like, is what's recommended. Craigslist. You may want to use, if you want, you want to use Redfin, uh, Facebook Marketplace. Zillow, Trulia, whichever one you decide to use, just do it and use it and start reaching out to the landlords. And were you just um, using the script and like kind of mass cold emailing the properties? No, I was doing it manually one by one. Like I find a property, I send a message. I find a property, cut, paste, copy, send a message, cut, paste, copy, send a message, you know? Were you trying to identify like legit owners or were you just kind of like I was going, just going, just going, how many total emails do you think he sent roughly <laughs> emails that now to them, these are just messages, not emails. Yeah. Messages. Like how many messages how many? did you need to send? Do you think over the, I probably sent like 50 messages, probably maybe okay. 50. 60, yeah. I was sending them every day, all day, maybe a little more, but, some don't respond back. Some respond back. What are you talking about? Uh, yeah, a lot, a lot of them are probably like agents and property managers and stuff like that, right? Yeah. But I managed to get through to the property manager. <laughs> and I speak, I managed to get through to a couple of them. And it worked out because they allowed me to speak to the landlord to explain it more clearly. And they were receptive. That's how I got the one that I got. Did they have any objections for you? Any questions? Like describe kind of the, what I call the pitch, right? Did they object at all? Did they ask you about legality or anything like that? Yeah, of course. Now I'm going to kind of, can I just like group my experiences of Absolutely. making these type of calls, right? I'm just going to yeah. kind of group them. 
of my different, the wide ranges of responses. Now, some said no, some said yes, they spoke a little more, some listened and they wanted to go chew on it. Let me chew on it, let me think about it. And they never got back. Some laughed at me. Yeah, right. Like, yeah, LOL. And some got on the phone with me, had conversations with me, talked, you know, long time, very open, but then still didn't move forward. Some even got on the phone with me and chastised me. <laughs> I would say by like disrespectful tone, right? Talking about you guys out here trying to just throw things up against the wall and seeing what sticks. You need to go do your due diligence and stop calling people trying to like, you know, you need to just, I'm like, wow. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So that was like the response with that. People asking me all types of crazy questions or one person, one landlord asked me to verify my degree, my credentials and stuff like that. Because that's one of the things I was able, I started using too, as I'm having conversations. I tell the landlord, like, hey, you know, I have a background in clinical social work, so I work closely with people that have uh, certain types of needs, and housing has become more of a prevalent need, and we're looking to partner with homeowners like yourself. You really like the property that meets our criteria, and, you know, we want to see if you're open to accepting a business, uh, allowing a business to operate in your home. And, you know, like I said, the response varied. And you just got to be persistent. I got to the property manager. I spoke to the homeowner. The homeowner listened, asked questions about who's going to be in the house. Or are there going to be any uh, drug addicts in the house? Are there, you know, where do you get your money from? Some of them tried to calculate how much I'm going to get paid by doing this, trying to get to the numbers. Like, what are you going to charge? Who pays for this? What if something breaks? You know, all types of questions. Is this legal? So it ran a gamut of different responses, but I did stay persistent and consistent with making the calls and just talking and following the script. And I got more versed with the script as I went along because early on, you know, I'm stumbling and maybe that's why I got cursed out a little bit sometimes. But as I went on, I developed a clearer pitch and it makes a lot of sense and it's easier for people to be willing to partner with me. So it's just practice, picking up the call and practicing, getting that nervous energy out the way and keep doing it, keep doing it. And you develop your script, your pitch, and you'll be able to enroll landlords to participate in your vision of the group home model. That's it, folks. So the first step is really you have to understand the business model first, right? So the landlords are probably asking you the same questions that you had, right? Like the legal stuff, or, you know, what license do you need, right? They don't want to deal with code violations or anything like that. Was that one of the things that the people you're working with, did they have a lot of questions regarding that? Yeah, in regard to the, the number of people, more so necessary as far as the legalities of it, is just, is it the number of people is it going to create a problem with the local code enforcement? And I explained to him, and and that's what helped because I learned the spacing of the standardized spacing of residential property 
with those numbers. And so I'm able to explain that a little bit to them and how all our homes meet that criteria. So it's not in violation of what's allowable by the law. And like you said, being versed in what the course is saying and the model, it really helps because you can explain it to the people that you're looking to explain it to in a better way. Because if you don't go through it, if you don't practice it, you don't exercise that muscle, you're not going to be able to do it. But just keep going through the information, learning it, digesting it, and step by step, word for word, follow the scripts. That's it. Just get your voice, right? Exactly. Hey, we have scripts in the course, but they're I always tell people, and you probably see me in the school group talk about this, is like, yeah, we have the scripts, but just use those as like guides. The main right. point is you want to understand this stuff. You want to be able to explain it to like your friends and family. Like just make it really simple for people. As long as you have the basic understanding and you know this stuff, you don't need to rely on the script. So it's just about having conversations with these people. Yeah, if you're going. If you're doing the, uh, I call it, you know, mass outreach, you know, you're reaching out to a bunch of people, property managers, agents, people like that. Yeah, you're going to run into a lot of no's, right? But all you need is that one person that's interested and like starts asking questions. And if you can explain it, it's a no brainer for the people to work with you. Once you started talking to the landlords, I mean, it sounds like you didn't even have to you're not doing a profit split. You're not offering above market rent or anything like that. They just wanted to work with you once they understood the business model, it sounds like. Correct. As long as they're going to get paid on time, like with no problems. Yeah. <laughs> At the end of the day, that's all they want. <laughs> they just want to be paid on time. That's a major bonus, right? Like picture what landlords are going through. And a are you at least covering like the basic maintenance stuff? Yes, $500 or less. And so that's what I'll cover anything above that. And, the, you know, of course, anything to the major utilities of the unit they responsible for. But other than that, yeah, that's it. Boom. <laughs> I love it. Yeah. So yeah. they want to be paid on time. And on top of that, they're not going to get called from you unless it's something major. Right. That's all landlords want at the end of the day. So I would say that's like that's your best case scenario as far as like a deal goes for on your behalf. Now, imagine if you didn't have the money, like if you had zero, like you couldn't even pay the lease or anything like that. You think these landlords would have partnered with you for a profit split? Oh, yeah. So that it would have been a little more convincing. But, yeah, that's when a, a profit split probably would have had to come into play. Yeah. It's mm -hmm. the same process. If you guys have literally no money, you do exactly what Taharka just did, exactly what he laid out. And instead of just paying rent on time, you say, hey, I'm going to make X amount on this property. I have XYZ nonprofit lined up, yada, yada. I'm willing to give you X amount if you just allow me to use that property. I bet you the landlord you're working with right now that just wanted to be paid on time, he would have jumped at that deal, right? Correct. Yeah. If he could have made more money in the process, definitely. And what helps that, right? 
and being able to convey that message to the landowner if you don't have any money. Again, the fact that you started marketing, you have connections with the organization, you have a, a list of potential tenants that's ready to sign the agreement with you. You can communicate that to the landowner and say, hey, and I run down a list of the different organizations that I'm in communication with, in contact with. I say, hey, yeah, I got, how you going to fill the beds? Like, where the people going to come from? I already got established agreements and relationships with XYZ organizations, blah, 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 blah. I run down the list of those organizations. I got a waiting list of this X amount of tenants, and I'm getting calls every day for more people looking for housing. Do you want in? <laughs> That's it. <laughs> That's it. So, folks, we just outlined the steps. So that's why I wanted to have Taharka on today. So Taharka will spend maybe like 10, 15 minutes on like, you know, the, the next steps. Right. But you guys just saw in detail how you can start right now. Guys, you can literally do this in the next couple of weeks. You can start right after this podcast. You could do everything that Taharka just laid out with basically no money. You don't need any money, nothing. You could do this stuff right now. So Taharka, thank you so much for uh, breaking all that down. And it's, I think that people are going to get a ton of value from it. And also, if you guys are in our school group, I recommend, you know, you can find Taharka on there. You could go look at his posts you can see like the progression just by like the questions he's asking. You can literally see it. I love watching stuff like that in the school group, by the way. So thank you for uh, like asking questions in there and like posting progress and stuff like that. It's a uh, immense value for folks that are trying to do exactly what you did. So to kind of recap, so Taharka has established the, you know, relationships with his nonprofits in his area that gave him the confidence to get out there. And, you know, he figured out like, oh, wow, this really works. There are a ton of people that need this type of housing. All right, let me go reach out to these landlords that have the properties. He didn't need to partner with them or anything. They understood the business model. They just wanted to work with them. Now Taharka, you have a couple, I call them good problems. <laughs> you need, you have a ton of people that need housing. You have access to a ton of properties. So Let's kind of go into like, let's talk scaling, let's talk logistics, let's talk how to, you know, follow through at this point. So what was the first question that you had for me and Andy? And I know Andy's driving around, he's doing real estate stuff. I think we lost him. But what was the first question that you had for us regarding, um, it's a common question, how to get paid. So you have nonprofits that are going to pay you, but what happens if the nonprofit's not paying? That was your question, correct? Yeah, exactly. In the sense that a couple of the relationships that I've started to establish, they do vouchers, and so they pay partial, and the tenant is responsible for the rest. Now, in collecting from the tenant, what's the best, I guess, method to ensure that you can get paid by that tenant? What solutions are there for them? I love the fact this is one of those. So there's a couple of things in like our understanding the business model, you know, videos and stuff in the gold course. 
I love the fact that you've taken action on all this stuff. And this part still remains a little bit fuzzy for you. I love that, by the way. <laughs> so <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna throw it back to you. Do you know what a rep payee is? Yeah, from the course, yes. Break that down for me a little bit. What is a rep payee? It's a person or organization that manage helps the individual manage their finances to ensure that their primary expenses are attended to. Bingo. So in the um the technical term is the licensee agreement or aka the tenant agreement. So that's a contract that you have all your tenants or guests sign, right? So yes. in that it says that the uh, person living there is required to go through an approved representative payee. So you're going to want to find a a rep payee organization that serves your area. So a rep payee is like, uh, you broke it down perfectly. Like say someone's on social security. Yeah, they're on SSI, right? SSI, SSDI, which mm -hmm. the majority of the people that are looking for this type of housing, they have some type of benefits like that. You could be a rep payee in theory. They appoint you as the rep payee. The funds go to you and then you disperse those funds as agreed upon in the beginning. So you're going to pay, you know, the electric bill, the credit cards, rent, whatever the bills are up front. Does that make sense? Yeah. Let's say you get four or five properties. You got 50 people living in your properties. Do you want to do that for all of those people living in those properties? No. No, right? So there's, <laughs> no. Non, there's nonprofits, there's organizations, there's businesses that are in that business of being a rep payee. So you need to find one of those organizations in your area. Then you just require your tenants to get set up with those organizations prior to moving in. Okay. And you outline that in the licensee agreement. It's in the licensee agreement that they're required to go through an approved, an approved representative payee. Okay. So it's just one of those things that you require before they move in. Okay. Does that make sense? It makes sense. Another question related to that, if we can, really quick. Um, yeah. Pla other platforms for self-paid tenants. Other platforms, I know about like uh, Door Loop, stuff like that, uh, Rent Ready, you know, those different type of platforms that allow, they like property management software type stuff? Yep. Yeah. So we use an application called Yardy. It's like property management software, but you don't need that. Like all of the stuff that you outlined is fine. Okay. Yeah. So if you are going to accept people that are self-pay, you just want to make it like as automated as possible. You don't want to be, the idea here is the, you don't want to be chasing these people down for checks. Correct. Yeah. yeah. So that's yeah. why I want a solution for their portion. <laughs> yeah. I'm looking yeah. for that solution for that. Right. Tahark, I'll send you offline since you were generous enough to come on and kind of share your story. We do have an agreement set up. Uh, it's typically reserved for our done for you clients, but I'll shoot that off to you. So okay. that'll be an option as well. Like 
let's say you want to take someone in that doesn't have like SSI or no benefits or anything like that, but they're just looking for a shared housing opportunity. Like maybe they have like a part-time job or something like that. Right. I'll, uh, right. I'll shoot a service over to you where you can kind of still get the same benefits as a rep payee, but it can be applied to anybody really. So okay. I'll shoot that over to you. Thank you. Appreciate it. But at least you understand the, the main idea there, it sounds Correct. like. That's yeah. cool. Yeah. Let's talk. Well, did you have any other questions? Like yeah. any you were fuzzy well, on? Or? One primary, I guess I would say, well, maybe a couple. One is related to, I think my initial question, like how fast is too fast, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, risk tolerance, why, like how many properties simultaneously? Because I have these things lined up, right? And what I'm thinking, like, okay, once I get deposits from the one house, I could transfer that and make the deposit into the new property and then furnish the property, all right? But then, so then the question links to that is how much should I be investing in furnishing and setting up a property? I know that the resources are, you know, more discounted places, uh, Salvation Army, Goodwill, you know, um, liquidated, stuff like that. But still, what's the average cost you think to like, kind of set everything up? I'm learning now from this one, but I may be spending a little more than I probably should, possibly. I don't know. But what yeah, do you this think? All, this all comes down to your risk tolerance and your resources. So I've seen Andy, you know, if he has like a new organization or a new opportunity, right? He'll just pop on, he'll hop on Amazon and just buy everything. He might invest like a couple thousand just to get it furnished real quick and ready to go. Right. And on the flip side of things, let's say you're just bootstrapping and you have absolutely zero resources. You could just advertise on Facebook to your friends like, hey, I'll come and pick up any unwanted furniture. And you could do that for free or free Craigslist. Check out Craigslist, like the free section. There's mm-hmm. a ton of stuff on there. So yeah. it really all just comes down to your risk tolerance and resources. But if you got the property, like let's say you have a property, you have a contract with a nonprofit, they're ready to fill it up in like a week. You know, just hop on Amazon and get it done quickly. Right. Get it done quickly. Yeah. And that's a good thing too, because one setting up business, I think that what was helpful too, my experience with like setting up a business structure. <laughs> And so that allowed me to, to know a couple of little things when I was getting started. And so we got a, a business line now with Amazon. They just got approved today nice. um, for a business account for a line and credit. So that's good to know. We could probably use that just to do that really quick. And yeah, I would say, you know, we're always beating this drum, right? But it comes kind of comes down to the marketing, right? So I would just be following up with those referral sources, like getting, uh, like, do you have contracts in place or at least verbal agreements? Like, Hey, we're going to send X amount of people your way. Yeah. Everything is like strong verbal and commitment and actually performance showing, demonstrating by circulating and transferring information and sending tenants to contact and complete our screening application and everything. So there's strong verbal. Once the property is secure, they said that's when they'll lock in 
with more of the paperwork agreement because they want to come visit and see the property and stuff like that. Beautiful. You don't have to go into specifics. We haven't really talked about this though. So you're leasing the property that landlord's making, you know, whatever cash flow they had from the property, right? In general, on average, it's usually like two or 300 bucks per month. What are your numbers looking like per property? Like, what's the financial incentive for doing this? Well, based on the numbers, based on like the spaces that I'm looking for and what's doable with the shared arrangement, on average, after paying the, the rent to the landlord and taking care of utilities and expenses and, you know, whatever miscellaneous stuff. It looks like with a full house of eight to 10 tenants, we will be able to net uh, possibly 3,500, right? And that's like kind of conservative, right? But I think that's what I'm calculating based on the rental cost and the number of beds that we could put in there. So yeah, that's what the projected is. So folks listening, you know, if you've done research on real estate and stuff like that, and that's a little above average, I would say on average, you know, Andy's typical property is going to be between two to three K per month. But either way, even if it's just two K, guys, this is a way to literally 10 X the cash flow of your typical rental property, which it sounded like you had looked into that stuff before, right? Like being a landlord and everything like that. Am I making that up or? No, yeah, I did. And actually during this experience, I ran it. So yeah, I was trying to be a landlord long-term, right? But that didn't work out as planned. But then during this process right here, the the people that I'm coming in contact, I met a gentleman who owns a property that I'm looking at. And the previous tenant, did so much damage in the property that he's hesitant on whether he really wants to fix it up. And he's also considering how can he sell it? There right? we go. So, so we're trying to work out a deal where if he sells it, right. And I'll fix it up that it'll be advantageous to both of us, right. A win-win situation. I love it. So, That's the next step that I wanted to talk to you about. So that is like, once you kind of get set up, you get your cash coming in, that's the next step is you just kind of do what you just outlined. You can do additional marketing and you do that at scale. So that's what me and Andy do to find these off-market properties. And like the typical seller of a, you know, an investment property is somebody that you just described. It's typically, sometimes you'll run into people that like, you know, they're not investors, but they're just falling on hard times. But our typical seller that sells us these discounted properties is like a previous landlord. They lost money on it. They don't want to deal with it. And they got a property just sitting there and they're just looking to offload it. So that's the next step <laughs> is investing, right? So yeah. you can lease, you know, to get started, you know, get some cash flow coming in. But eventually you do want to take advantage of the good things about real estate investment owning the property, there's tax advantages, get some equity, right? So you could probably get that property at a discount and then learning about like how to fix stuff up, everything like that. But 
man, once you combine those two strategies, it truly is, you know, it's the key to like generational wealth. It's all that stuff that people talk about, but this is a way to solve the cash flow problem. So yeah. man, that's the next step. That is awesome that you actually have a lead like that set up. So I'm curious to see how that works out. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Can I say something real quick? Real, another step that I've taken and I, it, I it just dawned on me because my notification came up meetups, right? I took action to actually go to meetups. And even in the group, I met a couple people from Jersey in the group and I managed to uh, meet one of them in a, in a meetup, real estate meetup. And he's uh, into real estate. His name is Habib, right? He's in a group, in a school group with us. Good guy. And so we went to the meetups and I'm making contacts with those, but I'm going to a meetup this evening again to try and meet people and connect. And so I really am under the uh, convinced that this real estate and business is a contact sport and you need to have contact and connection with people to make these deals possible. So I'm looking for wins. Like my mindset is win-win. How can we make deals that we both win and benefit from? But taking that step to actually go to the meetups, that's another scary point that people probably have, Brandon going out meeting people at a meetup. <laughs> Man, thank you so much for bringing that up because you'd see me in the school group always like talking about that, right? I always yeah. tell people, hey, I honestly recommend doing that before doing like Craigslist and stuff like that. Because once you learn the stuff and you start talking to these landlords, like how many investors, when you run into them at the meetup, what's the response like? They're interested, right? Yeah, they're interested. I'm meeting good people. I'm learning. I'm asking questions. Like I'm meeting loan officers, just having general conversations with how do loans work and other types of agents who are, you know, they do creative financing deals, hard money lenders, title companies, all types of people and that I would never have come in contact with if I didn't take that step. And so... That is excellent. Um, I'm meeting people who do estate sales, right? So looking to get some furniture and things from estate sales. Like, it's crazy, man. Like, it's unbelievable, but it is uh, true. And this model, this blueprint actually works. Yeah, you thought the end of, you know, the end of the path to group home riches is just like getting that first home set up, right? Now you figured out, oh, man, I... I just got started. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yep. <laughs> yeah. There's a whole, like we, that's what we really focus on is like just getting you guys ready to get started. But yeah, once you figure out the basics, once you figure out like your uh, referral sources and where the demand is and everything like that, then it's a whole new world and you just broke it down. Yeah. You're going to, if you can pitch a landlord, like just to work with you on a lease, you're going to be able to have that same conversation with a capital partner, right? And then you can go find, you know, go find the properties and scale. So it's really just about, you've done the first steps. It's just repeating that at scale. That's it. So let me outline like some things I recommend for you to do, and then we'll wrap up. We went a little long, but I wanted to, I think that people will get a ton of value from this. So Let's just say you got like a couple of properties, right? Lined up. 
I would be, do you understand the role of the house supervisor? Yes. Do you have any house supervisors lined up or anybody that you're looking at considering for that position? When you say supervising, not someone living on property, but someone assisting, uh, monitoring, helping to supervise what goes on in the property? Well, that's the person above the supervisor. So yes, in so each the property- house supervisor. Yeah, in each property, we recommend having a house supervisor, which is just like, we'll just call it like the house tattletale, right? So that's going to help you from needing to, you know, stop in. Are you getting cameras set up? Yes. Cool. So, yeah, we recommend, you know, assigning a house supervisor, which is just a trustworthy resident. Then they will kind of, if there are any issues, anything like that, they escalate it to the operational manager, which is, I'm assuming that's going to be you right now, right? Well, I have a, a partner that gets to get more active on that end. Beautiful. All right. <laughs> so that's really that just kind of organization getting that set up. If you have an operational manager lined up, yeah, you're golden. I mean, most people, that position even if it were you doing it, you'd be kind of tapped out at like 10 to 15 properties. Right. So there it is. <laughs> it mm. just, um, you know, automate your marketing as much as you can. Email systems, Google ads, you can have virtual assistants doing stuff like that for you if you're not doing it already. And then, yeah, your kind of main focus at this point once you have that organization underneath you and just finding the property. So congrats, you're a real estate investor now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And you know something, and why I say how fast is too fast, because um even in my searches and doing things, as I'm meeting people, um hearing and like getting opportunities in other states as well. Yeah. Right? Like kind of like I was like, wow, like this is possible. And just to be curious, I'll call one or two agencies in that area, in that state, just to see if it works there. Right. Mm -hmm. And guess what, Brandon? Oh, I know. It works. <laughs> yeah. And we got clients all over the place that yeah. we're, you know, we're doing uh, marketing and stuff like that for our done for you clients. So I know it's every city. It's pretty much the same feedback, the same challenges. So, yeah. yeah. At this point, it's just how fast is too fast. That's kind of like, man, this goes for all business. You kind of have to like gauge that on your own. Like you don't want things to get out of control and you also want to scale, right? So kind of keep your finger on the pulse, right? So, you know, you want to monitor like the house supervisors. You want to make sure everybody's doing like their role. You don't want to if you were to just get 10 properties right now, let's just say for sake of argument, that might be a little too much to handle, that's right? too much. Yeah. yeah. Was, I'm speaking more like two or three. Yeah. I think that's totally doable. That's a very conservative, like I would say a conservative kind of average number that I see is like two or three properties per six months. Okay. There's that no... There's outliers, right? There's people like uh, Patrick that did 15 properties in his first year, <laughs> but uh -huh. 
he's just a complete workaholic. <laughs> so people like Orlando, he did 10. I think Andy did like five or six in his first year. So okay. it all, again, it all comes down to like personal risk tolerance and things like that. So, but man, thank you so much for coming on. And yeah, I love, thank you for being active in the school group, asking questions, keeping us posted, anything you need help on, like along the way, like I said, it's real estate investing at this point, which is not what like the group home riches content is focused on, but that's the field that me and Andy come from. So if you need help along the way, you have questions on stuff, we are at your fingertips, sir. Thank you. I appreciate that. Definitely. uh, do you have any closing words for the folks or anywhere for they, the, if they want to reach out to you, feel free to drop any contact info or, or where the people can find you. So let's, uh, let's give the folks some parting words and then we'll wrap it up. Okay. So really quick, Brandon, if we can, right. My words, cause my goal is my stretch goal. I got a stretch goal for 10 this time next year. Let's and go. so if we, put this on a calendar, right, for next year, do the next interview or something, 10 is the stretch goal for me, right? And we're going to see what can happen. But my parting words will be, I live by African Proverbs, and so there's one that stands out most to me that I live by daily, and I really give it to my son like this. Don't allow what you can't do. Tear from your hands what you can do. Right. Don't allow what you can't do. Tear from your hands what you can do. And there's always something that you can do. Don't look at all the things that make it impossible to get it done, because if you look at that, it's going to seem impossible. But look at what you can do. Pick up the phone. You could build your list. Right. You can start making those phone calls. You can start marketing. You can start getting your website together. You can start doing something. Right. So I live by that. And my only thing is take action and don't allow yourself to end up next year in the same position that you are this year. That was my commitment for 2023. Not to allow this year to end the same way that last year ended. Right. And so I was committed to that. And right now is in motion in 2024. I see a lot of great things happening. And it all started from just taking action. So that's my parting words. And you can reach me. My organization uh, for the group home business is therapyhomes.org. And you could uh, hit me there. My name is Taharka. So my email address is taharka at therapyhomes.org. Or you could call a phone line there, right, at Therapy Homes, which is 732-228-4712. And if you have any questions, you could contact me. We could speak. I connected with many people in the group and seek to assist them with what little I've done so far to get them because I may be a couple of steps ahead of them to show them some encouragement and inspiration. So connect with people in the group and keep taking action. And I'm complete with that, Brandon. Thank you. I love it. One more time for the folks out there. Drop that proverb one more time. I'm gonna, that's going to be the title of the podcast because I love it. What was it? Don't allow what you can't do. Tear from your hands what you can do. That's bars, as we say on the <laughs> East Coast, right? That's right. <laughs> yes, sir. 
Man, thank you so much for the folks listening out there. Again, we just outlined the steps that that you can do right now. If you just stumbled on this, we literally just outlined what you can spend your time on over the next couple of weeks. If you haven't already, sign up for the free material at grouphomeriches.com. We have a free five-part course just breaking out down all the basics for you guys. If this sounds like the perfect business for you, 100% sign up for the gold course. At the time of recording, it's only 199 bucks. We have a private group uh, as well. It's on the school platform where you can network with people like Taharka. That's how I found him and wanted to reach out to him. But there's people like posting their wins, posting what works, what doesn't. You can just network in live time with people trying to establish a business like this. And yeah, if you guys have any questions, we are always here to help. You can email me, Brandon, at grouphomeriches.com or Andy at Andy at grouphomeriches.com. To Harka, thank you so much for coming on, sharing your story and dropping these gems for the beginners out there, man. And as you said, uh, you put it out there, you put it into the universe. We got a year to get 10 properties. So we have to come on a, a part two when you get to that goal. Or even if you come close to it, I would love to have you on for a part two. That's right. Shoot for the moon, right? Yeah. Hey, shoot for the moon. You hit the stars. It's all good. That's right. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Brandon. Ray, have Thank a good you. day, man. Thank you, man. We'll we'll talk soon, and I look forward to working with you. Yes, sir. All right. Thanks, All right. man. Bye. Bye.